When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this don't you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, September 2nd, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to cry about the end of summer, I guess. It's Labor Day. It's the unofficial end of summer here in North America, but uh, we'll, we'll keep our tears to ourselves for now. We'll enjoy the last fleeting moments of summer for as long as we can because we're actually here to talk about the Italian Grand Prix. But Hammy, my friend, how are you? You look bright and fresh and bubbly and energetic and sunburned and sunburned, and sunburned. <laughs> i i'm taking every advantage of the fleeting days of summer and dude it's so funny like before i had kids uh after i graduated university summer kind of just slowly blended into mm. autumn but now when you have kids and they go back to school following labor day weekend it's like summer has this hard stop <laughs> regardless of the weather summer's just over and then it's back to dude it's back to the grind before we get started too by the way i'm just buzzing today it's sunday morning you and i usually don't record until the yep. afternoon but Canada, Canada beat the mighty Spain or Spanish team at the Basketball World Cup today, which means that they've advanced to the quarterfinals and most of our listeners don't care, <laughs> but I'm pumped about that. But it also means they punched their ticket to the 2024 Paris Olympics. I'm a huge international basketball fan. And that's the first time Canada has been in the Olympics since Steve Nash led them to seventh place at the Sydney Games back in 2000. So I am pumped. And on top of that, man, and that's what we're gonna, here to talk about now, what a fantastic Italian Grand Prix, man. Fantastic. Yeah, it was it was outstanding. I mean, I, I think that, again, it's one of these races. If you look at the final race classification, you didn't watch it. You're doing yourself a disservice because this wasn't Red Bull, Max and Sergio just to let lights turning green and just racing off into the distance. They had to work for it. They had to fight for it. There was exciting moments all up and down the grid all throughout the race. And it was a fun, fun, fun one to watch. I really enjoyed it. And and. Monza too, like uh, we, we talked about on the show on Thursday night, just a classic track. I mean, um, it, it's great. I mean, it was funny because I remember watching qualifying Ted Kravitz on the Sky Feed at one point said that the the average speed around Monza yesterday during, or Saturday during qualifying was 160 miles an hour. That wasn't the top speed, the average speed of 160 miles an hour. And we look at the aero package that these cars were running. There was, like you said, Hammy on Thursday, is like the, the most minimal of wings and the most minimal about a downforce that the, these cars could have run they ran and it was just uh it's it's fun it's just uh i don't know there, there's something about simple tracks like that not that it's a simple track to drive but uh, you know it, it's still kind of really true to its roots because there was an interesting stat that came up at the beginning of the race that uh, 101 years ago this weekend monza officially opened so so here we are 101 years later and it was a, a good one Okay, sir, where do you want to take this one first? Because plenty of things to talk about. Yeah, I think there's a couple of kind of headlines from the top we should probably just address and and acknowledge. So obviously, this was Red Bull's 15th Grand Prix victory in a row. That is a record. It was also Max Verstappen's 10th Grand Prix victory in a row. Um basically breaking that tie that he'd held with Sebastian Vettel for a solid seven mm -hmm. days. So he's now moved into this kind of new territory. Um, and it was also, and this isn't a record, but it was also the sixth Red Bull 1-2 of the season, which is actually kind of surprising. Like, it's surprising there hasn't been eight or nine or ten of those. So I think it's probably fair acknowledging just that Red Bull greatness mm -hmm. so far this season. Because like you said, I think if all you looked at was the race classification, it would probably be a little bit deceiving because 
you know what, Max obviously won the race. Uh, Sergio battled hard to, to, to achieve and retain that P2 position. But ultimately, if you watch the race, I think Max worked harder this Grand Prix than maybe any other this season particularly a dry Grand Prix. And, you know, one of the statistics that I saw pop up uh, right before we recorded this show, and I was just like, man, that's right. Carlos Sainz obviously had a great week. He turned 29th. He he qualified on pole. Just, just nipped Max Verstappen. But he's also the only Formula One driver this year to overtake Max Verstappen in a Grand Prix, which is remarkable. So maybe maybe we kind of uh, give, give Red Bull their love and talk about these tremendous... Um, achievements, and then we can move on to some of the more exciting stuff. Like specifically, I want to talk about Ferrari and Mercedes and Alex Albon. What a fantastic drive there. And even when we get down out of the points into Liam Lawson, but maybe we start with Red Bull. Yeah. I mean, where, where do you really go with this one? Is it 15 race wins in a row, 10 in a row for Max or whatever it is now? I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. One person not really giving any love to Max or to to to, to Red Bull is uh, Mercedes team, uh, team principal Toto Wolf, who said, uh, I'll just read the entire quote, uh, quote, our situation was a little bit different because we had two guys fighting against each other in the team. I don't know if he cares about the records. It's not something that would be important for me. Those numbers it is for wikipedia and not uh, nobody reads that anyways end quote so you know to- but i saw that quote you did i love wikipedia 90 <laughs> percent of the stuff i say on this show is directly extracted from wikipedia and i think our listeners have kind of caught up onto that but but i saw that quote as well and you know again i i have to i have to take a step back and i think sometimes if you read the highlines and you see the aggregation in social media on instagram and twitter and tiktok and things like that that sometimes the narrative can paint some of these team principles as a little bit bitter but i think truthfully it's just that these guys are being interviewed constantly and total wolf is constantly being asked about red bull but i saw that quote and i didn't particularly love that one um i think that it kind of kind of creates this question which i was actually going to put to you on the thursday show so maybe we'll shelve it till then, but um, kind of a conversation about Max versus his teammates versus Lewis versus his teammates over their career arc, Mm -hmm. because I think that would be an interesting conversation. But yeah, I don't put a ton of stock into that that quote, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, when I was uh, doing like a lot of media scrums and talking to athletes and managers and coaches and, and, and people like that, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing that I loved was was a quote like this, not that, uh, you know, that I really want to like stir up the dirt, That's fair. but it's just a little bit out of the norm. It's just kind of like the people and athletes, they, they can just be very, you know, control C, control V, you know, cut and paste. And sometimes it can be a little bit uh, dry. So, you know, whatever the case. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see something a little bit Dude, different. You know the term hockey talk, yes. right? I, maybe our maybe our audience doesn't, but um, NHL players are notoriously difficult to interview because they have this set list of three or four cliche statements that they use <laughs> to answer any questions. Like we went out there and we gave it our best shot. Our backs and, were up like, against missed, the wall, like, and <laughs> our backs were up against that. It's the exact same thing always. So you're right that like if you're in a media or media scrum or you're on a Zoom call with a team principal and you get a quote like that, you're obviously going to be pretty excited because that's going to get aggregated and get some clicks and it's going to be uh it's going to be it's going to be noteworthy for sure yeah well let's talk about uh like qualifying now because uh, that that was really the thing that was uh you know quite uh you know quite exciting to watch right so here we go so the um hang on i just uh, should bring up a uh, qualifying here i got the race result so yeah the um so we had a front row of carlos Sainz and max for stapping carlos setting a pole time of 2022.94 max and right nipping on his heels at 120 2307 and then Charles Leclerc a 120.36 so those first three cars were pretty close uh, to to one another and it looked like uh, Max was just going to like uh, break Italian Tifosi hearts there because he went and nipped that uh, from from Charles Leclerc by about five hundredths of a second but you know anything that uh, that Max could do Carlos could do better and uh, the the roar around Monza I mean it was audible on the t- the, you know, the television feed must have been something that uh, to be there but you know it was it was exciting to see right i mean and then you got go down the, the the grid as well you have george russell fourth sergio Perez fifth alex albon qualifying outside of row three and six oscar piastri lewis hamilton on row four and then you have lando and fernando lining up on row five another 
not so great weekend for Aston Martin, but I guess being the draggy car that it is, you know, a power circuit, high speed circuit like Monza is not really going to be suited to, to them. Hammy, just uh, l- like to get your comments on the rest of, we could go down the entire starting grid, but l- let's just stick to the, 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 the top 10 for now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we should acknowledge, and you're right, like we could spend a lot of time going down the rest of the uh, the list. But I think the one other big takeaway that we should acknowledge from, from qualifying was Liam Lawson qualified 12th on his first full yep. weekend in Formula One. And he was only, and you know, we've given, I, I, I think you, you kind of corrected me during the Thursday show, which I thought was fair, that I made a comment about the fact that, hey, despite a bad car, Yuki's been pretty good this year. And you're like, but Mark, when he's up against a teammate other than Nick DeVries, he's not been so great. (laughs) And I I think this is a perfect extension of what you were saying, because Liam Lawson, like I said, qualified P12 in that terrible Alpha Tauri. He was only 0.164 seconds adrift of Yuki Tsunoda, who's been in that car and with that team for three years. So we, we talk about the pressure being applied to Daniel Ricardo and uh, the the Red Bull team was asked about Daniel Ricardo this weekend as well and we'll quickly get this out of the way um, but they kind of asked hey when do you expect to see Daniel Ricardo back and they've completely ruled out Japan and they've completely ruled out Singapore so that means that Liam Lawson is going to s- certainly get another two Grand Prix at the very least under his belt so I think those were my my big takeaways the the other thought too about that top 10 and qualifying in general is that qualifying at, at Monza especially Q3 is is when you see formula 1 cars uncorked to the fullest right like we talk about this being possibly the fastest most power centric track on the circuit and then in Q3 they go in with those super low downforce wings they've got absolutely no fuel in the tank and because of course we had the alternate tire uh, allocation strategy this weekend they rocked the hard in Q1 they rocked the medium in Q2 and in Q3 they they rocked the soft so those cars were absolutely in the fastest possible configuration and setup that you could see but I thought it was amazing and it was interesting too because obviously Carlos Sainz celebrating his 29th birthday this year full uh, full respect for that that pole position. And obviously the Tafosi went wild because of course Monza is is really the temple of speed, but it's also really the the heartbeat of motorsports in a country that is absolutely obsessed with motorsports, whether it's rally or or open wheel racing or MotoGP, whatever the case might be. So of course they went wild. But it's interesting that if you break down where his speed advantage was over over Max Verstappen, it was in the straights. He he absolutely dominated. I shouldn't say absolutely, but he he significantly outperformed his uh, his rival Max Verstappen in the straights. And the only place, the only place where Max Verstappen had an advantage on him in Q3 was in the corners, all of the corners, especially the final corner coming into the main street, where all weekend Red Bull just seemed to have unlimited traction, and that's really what helped them secure that P1, P2 this weekend, especially for Sergio Perez. But again, I thought it was a fantastic qualifying session. Like I said before, like I'd love to see a track where that power unit can absolutely shine. Like, you know what? Put on put on a slippery aerodynamic setup and just let the power unit do the work. And, and it was fantastic. And maybe not a surprise. And, and you and I talked a little bit about this, that, hey, look, you, you expect Red Bull to be successful because they have the most balanced car. And when I talk about balanced car, I mean, a car that can perform well on a low downforce configuration track and on a high downforce track. And they just seem to be able to put it all together. And even though they weren't necessarily the fastest car to straight line this weekend, they had more than enough grip and more than enough downforce mechanical grip and aerodynamic downforce um, grip to to kind of outperform the rest of the, the cars in the corner. But that was great to see. And it was also fantastic to see Ferrari perform well and Mercedes maybe wasn't a surprise. Um, I think, like you said, there were some disappointments and I want to talk to Aston Martin a little bit later, but I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a great qualifying session and I had a lot of wa- love or I had a, a lot of fun watching it. And I'm also becoming a big fan and it's such a mouthful, the alternate alternative tire allocation strategy. I, I promise I'll get that. I really, really like that. I, 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 As much as I want the teams to have a much as much autonomy and decision-making as possible when it comes to setting up their cars for the individual sessions, I kind of like knowing that, hey, Q3 is when we're going to see the fastest times. And that's that's logically when it's going to happen anyways. But I like this. I like this strategy and I like to see the hards, the mediums, and the softs because I also like to see the driver's be pushed to 
to compete on all three of the compounds, even if they're less comfortable with one than the other, that, hey, look, if you ultimately want to advance to Q3, you're going to have to be successful on the hard and the medium. And then if you get to Q3, you're awarded. Here's your soft tire. Go and make mm-hmm. hay. But that's my that's my spiel about qualifying, Mr. Yeah, Daly. no, that, I think that's a really good uh, summary. The, the, the one thing that we should mention, too, is uh, Ferrari kind of uh, dodged a bullet there because, you know, yeah, Monza, Monza is notorious for the way that the cars kind of like, or they, they, they the teams try to space their cars out there because I think the optimal gap between yourself and the car in front of you is between five and six seconds where you can still like really optimize like the slipstream and and, and not really be, you you know, disturbed by the dirty air and things like that. So it kind of came up towards the end of qualifying that um, that Ferrari had exceeded because they they had like some delta that uh, that they put out that uh, if you exceeded that, you'd be in trouble. And um, but, you know, as soon as that kind of came up it uh, quickly went away because uh, right after the session was over the the fi basically said it's not going to be investigated and then um you know frederick vassura team principal of ferrari said uh, he clarified it uh, somewhat simply saying that within regulations it was allowed that if you you slow down but you let other cars go or something like that but it sounded to me like they they dodged a bullet because uh it sounded like that this was something because we've seen this for like a you know, quite a long time the way that you have cars going out, and it's been a problem in the last couple of years. This year, obviously, not so much. But uh, I think that uh, do we want to say the Ferrari benefited from a little bit of home field advantage? Maybe I don't know. You know, it just it seemed awfully fortunate because as soon as that came up, it uh, it quickly uh, disappeared. Okay, um, before we move on from qualifying, Hammy, do you want to talk about uh, anything else? Should we talk about Aston Martin quickly then? Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about? Aston Martin, just generally in the sure. context of the yeah, weekend. Is that cool? cool? Yeah. So Mike Crack had a quote this this weekend um, post-Grand Prix saying, scoring a couple of points with Fernando was little consolation for a tricky weekend in Monza. Maybe with a little more, maybe with a few more laps, we could have challenged Lando and Alex, but there were not too many opportunities available. Lance did a good job today. He moved ahead of the Haas and Alpine drivers, but he suffered with the tires dropping off in the final part of the race. We always knew that Monza would not be a particularly kind track to us, and we have to take today's lessons into AMR 24. Uh, we'll work hard to be back in a more competitive position in Singapore. So obviously, I, I don't want to spend... A ton of time here. Uh, Fernando Alonso managed to score a couple of points, certainly far off that P2 finish he had in Zandvoort, which is an ultra high downforce circuit. And you come to Monza, which is a fundamentally different type of circuit. Um, I think my takeaway here is it, it, it's a good opportunity to sit back and reflect on teams that can build a car that's really effective on every type of circuit, right? Like Red Bull wins a Grand Prix last weekend on a high downforce circuit, and then they come to a low downforce circuit and they win the Grand Prix, and you have a team like Aston Martin that can score a P2 on a high downforce circuit, and then they come to Monza and they struggle so badly. Um, I, I think Mike Crack's comments here are generous, to be to be totally fair, that sure. uh, maybe, maybe ultimately uh, with a little bit more luck and a slightly better setup, uh, and a little bit less drag that that Fernando Alonso could have competed for a P7 or a P8, but I think how he finished was probably in line with how that car was configured and how they performed this weekend. Lance Stroll, an utter disappointment, a complete and utter disappointment, quite frankly, uh, to finish P17, I think, is where he ended up. And maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm being a little bit generous. Hold on, let me double check Here's here. He's P16. Um, P16, absolutely atrocious. And I I think that comment from Mike Crack attributing his challenges to being like, well, the tires dropped off. But ultimately, like if you look at the pit stop and the tire strategy this weekend, his strategy really wasn't different than anyone else. That most drivers went about 20 laps on the medium and then they switched over to the C3 hard for the rest of the race. Lance Stroll did the exact same thing. He rocked a new medium for 20 laps and then he went on to a used hard to complete the Grand Prix. But I don't think there's an excuse. And it's either because his tire management's really poor Um, which is why they dropped off or the car is fundamentally flawed, but you didn't see the same tire degradation issues with Fernando Alonso, who effectively had the exact same strategy. So it's, it's a little bit frustrating, but it is, it's such an interesting car that can shine with Fernando on certain high downforce circuits. And earlier in the season, they also could perform reasonably well on some of the lower downforce circuits, but ultimately a very, very disappointing weekend. And just picking up from that conversation we were having a couple days ago about Lance Stroll, like this is an 
unexcusably bad performance from Lance Stroll. And maybe it was a setup issue that was causing the deg issues with that hard tire over the last 30 laps or whatever the case was. But it's just very suspicious that his teammate, Fernando Alonso, didn't have the same thing. Yeah, just bring it up for Lando, Fernando Alonso right now. He went 21 laps on the on a fresh medium tire to start the race. And then he finished the, the race 30 laps on the white hard C3. So just unforgivable, unforgivable performance there. And obviously he wasn't crashing and committing DNFs, but just like unexcusably bad. And the other thing we can talk about too is given the outcome of the race, and we'll get to this in a couple of minutes, obviously Ferrari with a couple of P5 finishes, uh, they've now leapfrogged Aston Martin. You and I knew this was going to happen. They've now passed them in the Constructors' Championship. And again, that's entirely due to Lance's performance this year. So that's that's all I got on Aston. I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, no, the only thing I was going to add is uh, I had the Constructors' Championship standings uh, keyed up just so we could bring that up because that was the next part of the the, the conversation. Perfect, perfect. So Red Bull obviously way out in front with 583. Aston Martin, who occupied that second place in the Constructors' Championship for a very long time, were leapfrogged first by Mercedes, then by Ferrari. So Mercedes are now on 273. Ferrari are on 228 with the the, the benefit of a, a third and fourth finish uh, today at, uh, at Monza. And then Fernando finishing where he did today in uh, in P9 means that, uh, that um, um, pardon me, Aston Martin, they have 217. So, I mean, Mercedes is disappearing up the road and is turning rapidly into a tiny little dot as they distance themselves. But I mean, the fact that, um, you know, they had a very slender lead, if I, if I recall correctly from when we did the race preview earlier this week, I, th- I think it was about 15 or 16 points. So not a lot, but here we are at the end of the re- race weekend, and now they're 11 points behind Ferrari in in, in the Constructors' uh, Championship. And, and, and that's the thing, right? I mean, when you look at Mercedes, you look at Ferrari, both have obviously struggled through throughout the year. They, they haven't been as, you know, as, as good as Aston were earlier in the year. But the, the, the whole problem, as you said, Mark, is that Fernando's been the one that's been, been bringing home the lion's share of the points the entire season. And Charles and Carlos have bringing, been bringing points home, not always in big, huge, you know, massive bags of points after a race. Today was a good haul for them. And the same with uh, with the Mercedes. Lewis and George Russell have just been very good, very consistent in what has obviously been a difficult car to drive and not as a competitive or dominant car that they've had in the past. And, and, and that's why Aston Martin has found themselves where they were. I mean... Yeah, Daly, just just while you're yeah. talking about that, because I, I just brought up a statistics in the background, just kind of reinforce this point. So um, probably not a surprise because we've talked a lot about this this year. Uh, so far in the Constructors' Championship, Fernando sitting P3, Lance is sitting P9. Uh, Fernando has 170 points, Lance Stroll has 47. If you look at the Ferrari teammates, uh, Carlos Sainz P5, Charles Leclerc is P6. Uh, Char- Carlos Sainz sits on 117 points, Charles Leclerc sits on 111 points. So imagine if the Aston Martin Delta, the performance Delta was as close between Fernando as it is between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. The, the Constructors' Championship would be fundamentally different. Yeah, and you know, the, the, the thing is now that unless McLaren can really uncork it in the last, what, nine races or eight late races that we have left, I mean, it's almost, well, they, they can't be comfortable where they are because, I mean, McLaren is fifth in the Constructors with 115 points after, I think, what we could say is a glacially slow start to the season. I mean, they, they've picked it up and they've gotten much, much better as the as the season uh, has gone on. And, and obviously, this weekend wasn't quite as good as, as some of the others. But we'll talk about that in a little bit more. We're going to take a, a little bit of a break now to hear a message from our sponsors. So don't go away. We will be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton breaking down the 2023 Italian Grand Prix, which went earlier today at the iconic and historic Monza circuit. So, Hammy, we've kind of gone through uh, qualifying. We've gone through some of the news. So let's get into the race itself. Let's uh, go down the uh, final race classification. Uh, Max Verstappen uh, winning this one six seconds over his teammate uh, Sergio Perez. Then you have uh, Carlos Sainz rounding out the, 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 the podium for Ferrari. They have Charles Leclerc and George Russell, fourth and fifth. Lewis Hamilton, Alex Albon, Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, and somehow and unexpectedly, Valtteri Bottas slid into the final points paying position for Alfa Romeo in 10th. And uh, that was a little bit surprising. And Liam Lawson. You know, finishing P11. So, of course, uh, there, there's no comp to his teammate uh, Yuki Sonoda because there was a bit of de- a delay off the start of this uh, race because before uh, they could get back to uh, the starting grid to set this one up, Yuki had a power unit failure on the back straight. He pulled over to the side and uh, took a little bit of a while. I mean, he pulled over where there was um, you know, a Marshall station there, but um, not typically a, a part of the track where we see cars retire down that very long and fast uh, straight. So they had to, to bring a, a truck out or recovery vehicle to get rid of that car. So we had a, an aborted start, a second formation lap, then we came back and it took them a little bit of time to clear that car out of the way. However, once it got started, it uh, it kicked off uh, pretty quick and uh, it was exciting to watch. And for the first time in a very, very long time, I don't uh, I don't recall the last time we had a clean start to this race where nobody or, or everybody made it through the uh, the, the first chicanes uh, at uh, turns one and two at uh, Redifilio without seeing little or large or medium-sized bits of carbon fiber flying everywhere. So that was uh, exceptional. I mean, they almost went through and parade like uh, fashion, but uh, Carlos had uh, a pretty good start, as did uh, Charles Leclerc in third. Max uh, had a, a decent-ish start as uh, well, you know, pre- you know, pretty close to uh, what, uh, what what Carlos Sainz had. Had a little look going to ter- turn one. But uh, Carlos was able to plant that Ferrari SF23 into uh, first position there on lap one. And and that's how it stayed. So, you know, we, we had a Ferrari Red Bull sandwich there with Max Verstappen in the middle. And the big question that, that I think we all had at this uh, at this point was, how long is this going to take Max Verstappen to to get around uh, uh, Carlos Sainz? Will Charles Leclerc be able to get close enough onto the back of Max's Reds Bull to hassle him? And uh, once they kind of settled into that order and Max was kind of having a look, the next question I think a lot of people had was, okay, what's going to be more powerful here, the undercut or the overcut when it comes to pit stops? And I think when I started going through some of these alternative strategies that, okay, well, if uh, Max uh, doesn't pa- uh, you know, pass him on the track, you know, they're going to pass them in the pits because when it comes to everything, you know, it's just... It's just obvious that when it comes to like the strategy and the tactical calls on the pit wall, that's always going to be advantage Red Bull. So I I just felt at the at that point it was uh, it, it was just a question of time, and you know Max didn't have to to rush this one. I mean he really had a luxury of time to really you know, just sit back and pick the the opportunity to, you know, pass Carlos Sainz when it came. I mean, he had plenty of looks and Carlos defended, you know, pretty robustly. So it was, uh, it, it took 15 laps, which is, uh, you know, I think a lot longer than we expected. It wasn't quite Charles Leclerc versus Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas in 2019, but it was still a, a pretty valiant defense from Carlos Sainz. Hammy, your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think, and I have to be I have to be a little bit careful because post race, I I was on a bit of a high because there was so much actual racing during this Grand Prix. The first fifteen laps, you saw you saw Max and Carlos go head to head multiple times, and ultimately, when that overtake happened on lap fifteen, he had to work for it. 
right? Like this wasn't an easy overtake on the start, the start finish straight with DRS. Like he had to actively work for it. And it was, it was thrilling to see on that straight, the two of them drag racing head to head. And, and it was amazing. But I think my takeaway from the race was like, wow, this championship is getting closer and these teams are developing the cars possibly at a faster rate than maybe we expected. But I think I, you have to be a little bit cautious because I think this circuit could be a little bit deceiving. It's very, very generous to slippery cars that have tremendous amounts of aerodynamic efficiency, like the Williams cars and the Ferraris. And then we're going to go to Singapore and Singapore is possibly one of the top two or three slowest tracks on the circuit after, after Monaco. And we'll see a very, a fundamentally very different outcome there where some of the, the advantages that teams like, like Williams and, and Ferrari have will be far less relevant, if relevant at all. But again, I thought the beginning was fantastic. And I was also a little bit relieved that we had a clean start because I didn't want yellow flags and I didn't want a red flag and I didn't want to restart that the conditions were dry for the first time, like we said, I think in like four months, which is pretty remarkable that I wanted to have a clean start. And that's ultimately what we had was I, I wanted to see I wanted to see Max obviously compete for that P1 position, but I, I wanted to see him do so in unexceptional circumstances meaning race conditions when it's dry when races when the race isn't being interfered or disrupted by by flags and collisions and, and chaos and things like that and I think my takeaways early on was ultimately Max had a great start uh, I didn't think that that Carlos had the best start but it was good enough mm-hmm. and I I think I think the strategy that Red Bull probably had, and you could pick up on this a little bit based on some of the the radio exchanges between Max and his engineer and some of the things that were coming off of the pit wall, uh, was obviously that they weren't in a hurry. That if the opportunity presented itself on lap one at corner one, obviously you're going to jump. But if it wasn't there, you're going to get it eventually. But I also thought it was remarkable to see to see Max sitting in P2 for 15 laps of a Grand Prix. Like we really haven't seen that this year. And to see Carlos ultimately be able to overtake Max at one particular point and to cleanly fight him off multiple times like that 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 attempt on p6 was amazing and i thought he was going to get him on p6 and when he did it i was just like well when's it going to happen is it going to happen before the pit stops and i'm just like i don't think max psychologically is going to want to wait that long but i thought it was great so from a from the kind of a starting phase of the race. It was brilliant. And I think we saw some really good stuff in the midfield, obviously. And I I don't know if we want to get to Mercedes yet, but I I think, I think it was good to see that, that battle. I would just, I would caution people that who like me were probably very excited post race because of what we saw, particularly that battle between Ferrari and Red Bull, that that likely isn't to translate at at Singapore. It will not translate at Singapore. Let's let's call a duck a duck. So that advantage that they had this weekend will be gone. But that said, if if their development and their development trajectory is such that they can be a meaningful rival to Red Bull at Monza at a low downforce circuit and we have multiple low downforce circuits on on the calendar, maybe they've solved part of the puzzle, right? Like if Ferrari's going to be a meaningful contender in 24 and 25, there's multiple things they need to solve, right? They need to be able to have a great high downforce package, they need to be able to have a great low downforce package. And I think what we saw this weekend is hey, they've got a power unit that can absolutely compete with Red Bull in the straights. We saw that. We absolutely saw that, which is amazing. And their aerodynamic efficiency is possibly and probably is better than Red Bull because that's what we saw in qualifying, that's what we saw in practice, and that's what we saw in race trim. They just don't yet have that traction and that grip in in the corners to compete with Red Bull um, throughout the entire duration of a Formula One Grand Prix lap. But some really, really, really good signs this weekend um, that will hopefully translate into more competitiveness in 24 and 25. You know, I, I just want to talk about uh, Max Verstappen now because um, it, it was kind of interesting, right, to see him, like you say, behind Carlos Sainz for, <clears throat> excuse me, for, for, for 15 laps. And, you know, Earlier in in Max's career, I don't think that there's any question that Max tries to barge his way through as quickly as possible. 100% agree. 100% agree. Yeah. And and at this point, I I think at 25 years old, obviously two um, uh, world championships uh, under his belt, I think Max has has, has matured to the point where he realizes, okay, you know, I I don't have to like push my way past. You know, I I can see that Carlos is sliding around. I know that his tires are going to go off uh, quicker than mine. I just 
just have to sit back and 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 you know just to wait my moment because I'm looking at the the, the car behind me and Charles Leclerc he's standing uh, cl- getting close enough to cause me a problem. So unless he becomes a problem, I can just uh, sit here and uh, use the luxury of time to to pick the opportune moment. I mean, he still had his looks, obviously, but it, it's interesting because if you kind of look back over like the course of Max's career, that three, four, obviously five years ago that we're seeing Max try to get around at the at the first opportunity, right? So, Daly, I'm 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 sitting here trying to temper my excitement based on what we saw from Ferrari today, and I think that you're probably tempering it even more <laughs> because I think what you're I think what you're inferring is that older Max for sorry not older a younger a younger Max Verstappen may have been a little more aggressive and may have gone after Carlos yes. Sainz a little bit exactly. harder earlier in the race so the fact that we're sitting here saying hey Carlos Sainz led this race from pole for 15 laps that's fantastic great news for Formula One but maybe it's more just that Max can afford to be patient because ultimately he has the package and and the and the the skill set that would enable him to sit back um, and cool that power unit and and manage his tires and then go for it when the opportunity presents itself in a low friction, low risk situation that ultimately maybe that that kind of 15 lap spread was uh, a little deceiving then. Yeah, possibly. And then also the fact that uh, Max knows that the calls, uh, the info that he's going to get from the pit wall is going to be good as well. And the the, the decision like to, to when to come in for the pit stop is going to be at the the, the, the most optimum and favorable moment for for him as uh, as well. So, I mean, in, in years gone by, I mean, he probably would have tried to pass uh, Carlos Sainz the same way that I play video games, just like push my way past <laughs> or get around at, uh, at the first opportunity. Totally, totally. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, and this is a comment that Martin Brundle made that the like the great drivers, you know, they not only drive their own car, but they're driving the cars in front of them and behind them. And I'm just like to to myself, I was just like, that makes a lot of sense. But is Max really the only one that does that or takes credit for that? Because I mean. All drivers have to be thinking that to a certain extent uh, about the car that's in front of them and behind them as well. And it um, it, it just seemed like an interesting one. I, I don't want to take any way away from Max Verstappen because, I mean, he, he does that like quite a lot. And, um, you know, when you have the benefit of the best car and the best power unit and, you know, you, you could just sit there and just know that that I've got benefit of time on my side because once he got past Carlos, I think he put over a second on him before the end of that first lap that he was in front of him. I mean, and and I was astounded after the the pit stops, you know, sorted themselves out. He was like six seconds up the road. I'm like, how did that happen? You know, it's just like, you know, he passed Carlos and he was only like a second to a second and a half in front of them. And then after everything kind of sorted itself out, I was just like, wow, (laughs) I was really quite impressed by that. A couple of quotes here from Ferrari post-race Carlos Sainz. It was a great weekend all along, and to be able to celebrate a podium with a Tifosi is the perfect icing on the cake. I really want to thank every single one of them for their endless support. They are very special. Today, I did everything I could to try to keep both Red Bulls behind, using my tires to the limit and pushing for the entire race. Unfortunately, they still have the edge over us on race day, and P3 was the maximum today. We had good battles on track with them and Charles, and I hope people enjoyed as much as I did. Now, we have some time to regroup and start prepping for Singapore. Charles Leclerc says, it has been a while since I had that much fun in a race. The battles we had throughout the weekend were great, and Checo, Perez, Carlos, and I were really close towards the end, which made for an exciting handful of closing laps. We had some free space behind us, so I just enjoyed it and pushed to the maximum. I hope the Tifosi enjoyed it as much as we did. And then Frederick Vassour, team principal Ferrari, says, it was a great race, and the result was the best we could do today, finishing on the podium in front of our fans and bringing home 27 points, which sees us get ahead of Aston Martin close uh, on Mercedes. We dedicate this result to our fans who have been so supportive all weekend long and we are pleased to have put on a good show both yesterday and qualifying it today, especially at the end of the race when we let our drivers fight it out for the third place. We did that because we know how special it is to them to be on the podium here, but we also told them not to take any risks and they complied with that. Uh, Carlos drove really well all weekend. Charles also recovered well after getting off to a difficult start on Friday. In two weeks, we start from scratch again in Singapore. So just, I want to touch on that real quick because I thought that was one of the most thrilling parts of the race was at the end, Ferrari says race. I, I I don't know the exact quote, but race, but don't risk it. And ultimately, that's a really interesting thing to say because 
my expectation was in that moment, you're sitting P3 and P4. Do everything you can to preserve those points. Do not compromise those points. Team orders, stay where you are. And they let them race, which ultimately for, I think, everyone in Monza and everyone, and by the way, Micah Boyce, shout out at the Monza Grand Prix, at the Italian Grand Prix, after going to the British Grand Prix last year. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I loved your social media updates. But that was that was unexpected. And, and it was something I thought was thrilling, and it just made a great Grand Prix even better. Were you surprised to see Ferrari let those two drivers go at it over the last couple of races or the last couple of laps and fight for that final podium position? Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting, too, because I kept sort of popping between like the, the onboard cameras and both uh, Charles and, and Carlos. And the one thing I was surprised that, uh, that, that never came up was uh, I, I was expecting maybe at uh, Charles to say, you know, I'm quicker than him, let me buy kind of thing. But maybe Charles realized that, you know, this is going to be a good result for Ferrari regardless. And that, um, but I mean, if he had the opportunity to make a clean pass on Carlos I think that he tries it I mean he, what was it where did he lock up um, was I think it was like on the penultimate lap it might have been lap 50 we had the big lock up at the end of the start finish straight going into turn one there and uh, that, that kind of like put uh, that that challenge to to bed there but yeah I, w- I was impressed that uh, that they let them race and there was no way that they were gonna you know switch those cars around on the track because Carlos had earned that I mean he, he qualified well he defended well he raced well and um, you know I, I think that as long as they they did have a coming together I think to Ferrari and 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 I think that these two drivers I think Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc are smart enough and they recognize that what a big moment the, an important moment this was for Ferrari, which has been, in all fairness, a, a pretty dire year by their standards. It hasn't been the, the, the greatest of years. So, you know, they've, um, you know, they brought home 27 points, like you said. They leapfrogged Aston Martin, the constructors. They got a podium. They got a fourth. I, I think they've got to be happy. You know, Charles obviously would have wanted more, but considering that the cars in front of him were his teammate and two Red Bulls that nobody can catch, I think that, uh, you know, they, they've got to be satisfied uh, with this. Uh, the, 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 this weekend, but you know, just on a on a related note, <clears throat> I know that we saw uh, the the stewards weigh in and hand out uh, a number of penalties throughout the afternoon, but we saw some good hard racing, and I think that the stewards stepped in absolutely only when, when necessary. Like I, I thought that the, the the race control did a pretty good job, and that feels to be very strange to say that because I, I feel like over the years, Happy, that you and I have s- sat here and been more critical than not to, to the way that some situations that that, that that have been handled by race control. But I felt uh, today that, you know, use that uh, sort of like other sports uh, you know, saying, I mean, since we're using cliches and things like that, the referees put their whistles in their pockets more or less, and they just let them play. That's kind of how I felt like this one went. I mean, we, we should talk about Lewis and Piastri, then um, Logan Sargent also got a penalty, but anything that they looked at that noted and any penalties that were handed out, I think were entirely justified. And I, I think that anything more than what was the, the way that they dealt with it would have been too much. And I think just generally speaking, I think they managed the race very, very well. Yeah, I totally agree. And maybe that was one of the reasons I I had less anxiety approaching this podcast today, because there's, there's honestly, there's nothing worse than sitting here for an hour talking about the the calls from the stewards, right? Like there's nothing worse than sitting here litigating a decision that's possibly controversial. And ultimately there there were a couple of moments on, on the track with Piastri and, and Lewis and a couple of other moments. Um, but seemingly they were they were um, adjudicated and and penalized very quickly and very efficiently, and it didn't become the story of the race. And maybe it was ultimately because uh, the consequences were with drivers farther down the ultimate race classification. But I would agree that it's really wonderful that we can watch a, a Grand Prix, and ultimately we're not sitting here relitigating and adjudicating the decision making of the stewards and questioning the role of the FIA in 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 orchestrating and governing the sport. That that was a really nice outcome this weekend. Absolutely. And we will take one more final break here, and then we will come back on the other side, and we'll just uh, talk about a couple more things, talk about Lewis and Piastri, and just to wrap this one up with some final thoughts, so don't go away, we'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. Final thoughts for a very eventful and enjoyable Italian Grand Prix. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here. Okay, well, we've uh, talked about uh, pretty much everyone else. Lewis Hamilton held on to P6 after it was all said and done. Had a uh, coming together with uh, Oscar Piastri at uh, turn four. Uh, Poor old uh, Oscar, who was uh, running pretty good at uh, the time right by. He was in that great scrap uh, between Alex Albon, his teammate Lando Norris, and himself. (coughs) And then Lewis found a lot of pace in those latter stages of uh, of the race. Lewis had an interesting strategy because he started on the hard compound tires, the only one of the front runners who who started on the hards. They all went medium hard. He went hard medium. Had some questions about uh, whether or not that was going to be the correct strategy, but it worked. I mean, he had pace at the, at the end of the race. He was a, a little bit uh, behind that tree of Albon, Norris, and uh, Piastri. Then he got right in the thick of it, and then he had a great scrap with uh, Piastri, but when they got into that uh, that second chicane there at uh, at turns uh, four and five, uh, Lewis just uh, I think he misjudged it. Uh, they they went through Curva Grande side by side, wheel to wheel. I mean, literally just inches apart at the at the speeds that they were going at. It was uh, thrilling. Lewis was ahead going into the chicane, and I think that uh, just with everything going on, I think he just misjudged it, and they collided. Uh, Lewis uh, you know got a good whack on his uh, right rear tire. Um, Piastri breaks his front wing he drops down a little bit uh, unfortunately he ends up out of the points Lewis gets a five second penalty which I thought was uh, entirely justified and um, you know more to the point Lewis after the race immediately went and uh, apologized in person to Piastri to say hey you know that's on me that's my bad that's my mistake that's uh, 100% uh, my fault and I think he said also in the uh, the, the media scrum afterwards uh, he said uh, yeah that's what gentlemen do right uh, you know so I, I thought that was a classy move by by uh, by by Lewis, but the point was he was flying at the end of the race. He needed uh, you know five seconds over whoever was behind him to keep what it was, because at one point it looked like he might actually end up uh, behind Fernando, who ended up in P nine. But uh, in the end, I think he had about six or six and a half seconds thereabouts, more or less, between himself and Alex Albon, who finished uh, P seven. So uh, you know a good uh, double points finish for the uh, the, the Mercedes drivers, uh, George in uh, P5, Lewis in P6, and just like uh, Carlos and uh, and Charles for Ferrari, when you see those teammates each bringing home points, Mark, going back to the earlier discussion we had about Aston Martin, it's no wonder that they've tumbled down through the constructors that the, the way that they are. And had uh, you know McLaren had a better start to the season, they might not even be in fourth in the constructors at this moment. Because, I mean, Lando's always been, I mean, Lando's been around for a number of years now, so we, we know what Lando brings to the table. We know he's an exception good driver. Piastri's proving to be a very good driver too, so it looks like they got a pretty lethal one-two punch. So boy, uh, <laughs> just to, not to you know belabor that point about Aston Martin anymore, but uh, certainly uh, not a good situation. But let's talk about someone who deserves uh, a lot of praise. Alex Albon, right? Can Alex, Alex Albon, Albon, absolutely. Yes. Oh, That's okay. where I wanted to go because he deserves a lot of love. So I, I, I want to take this back to winter testing in 2022. And I think Alex Albon came into winter testing in 2022, and he probably looked around Grove, which is where the Williams factory is. And he's like, this place is in total disarray for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about over the last couple of months. But I, I think the one takeaway that he had from the car going to that season was that the aerodynamic downforce on the car was terrible and that they were not going to be able to generate any meaningful grip in any high downforce corner anywhere on the calendar. But I think it was pretty clear to them in the sim, even a year and a half ago, that the car was really quick in a straight line. And I think he and his race engineer probably went straight to the calendar in winter testing 2022 and they circled Monza because I think their thought was if we could score meaningful points anywhere this year, it's going to be at that race. And of course, he didn't end up racing that weekend because he became ill and Nick DeVries ultimately sat in for him and scored that remarkable P9. And of course, people at times like, well, that's fantastic. Nick DeVries deserves a seat in Formula One. Maybe this car is better than expected. But I think that probably stung Alex a little bit that he didn't get the opportunity to drive at Monza. So I was really excited to see him this weekend. And we talked about how 
aerodynamically efficient the Williams Mercedes car is when we went back to Spa and how great it was in sector one and how quick it was versus the rest of the field. And really, it was only competing with the Red Bull and the Ferrari and things like that. So this was a really great opportunity to see what that car was made of, both for Alex and and ultimately for his teammate, Logan, who finished a disappointing P13 and continues to struggle in his rookie season, although I would advocate that he should probably make a return to that team next year. But Alex Albon ultimately finishes P7, and he had to fight hard for that P7 because he had Lando Norris basically nipping on his heels for 30-plus laps of of this race. And it was interesting, post-race, Will Buxton was interviewing drivers, and he was interviewing Lando Norris and and talking about his weekend and and what they were able to extract from the car. And, you know, they were a little bit disappointed, but they continue to believe that they're in the right trajectory development-wise. And then Alex Albon walks in and picks up a mic. And it was really great to see the banter between the two of them. And it's, it's really interesting that the F1 drivers seem to be really competitive on the track but they all seem to get along and really admire each other and have great friendships off the track, which is really refreshing and fun to see these interviews. But ultimately, Alex Albon driving that Williams car to come home a very clean P7. And ultimately, it's not like there was a slew of DNFs. It's not because there was yellow flags or a red flag or any kind of um, unexpected opportunity or exception. Uh, But for him to finish P7 was a very, very, very strong, strong result. And you just have to wonder too, if he was in a better car, um, what, what could his result look like. And obviously he had that opportunity a few years ago and and maybe Red Bull shortchanged him and, and took that opportunity away from him and backfilled him with Sergio Perez. But ultimately, I think he's extracting an awful lot from that car. And, uh, and James Voles, the team principal at Williams, has been singing his praises all year. And I've never been a huge Alex Albon convert because I felt like, look, he had that opportunity with Red Bull and not everyone gets that opportunity. And if you're really a world-class driver, you need to be able to deliver on that opportunity. And he did it for a variety of reasons. There was some bad luck involved. It was obviously a pressure cooker. People argued that it was a toxic environment. But if I had the opportunity to build around a young driver now, Alex Albon is the type of guy I would want. He just, he seems to be able to deliver his tire management this weekend was fantastic. And he was on a slight different strategy than everyone else. For instance, he started on a used medium. He only went 15 laps because I think it was a pretty cooked used medium. And then he finished the race on a used hard and he went longer on that hard than I think anybody else did. So his tire management was good. And like I said, he was under constant pressure from, from Lando Norris. And when you're under constant pressure like that, your, your braking points change, your acceleration points change. You take more aggressive lines into corners because you don't want to give up an advantage. Uh, but I thought he drove a fantastic race and finished a very, very well-deserved P7. So kudos to Alex Albon. And Lando Norris as well, I, I think a P8 is probably a great place for him to finish. Um, I do want to talk about Lo- Logan Sargent, but I think we save that for next Thursday because it's more kind of specific to the championship as a whole. But I thought Alex Albon put in a fantastic race. Obviously, this is a track that's suited to to their car, uh, and it reflects very well on the design strategy of it. But I don't know anything else you want to add on Alex Albon. Were you equally as impressed? Yeah, I, I just uh, I, I agree with everything that you said. I don't really have anything more to add to that. I just, uh, as you were talking, Mark, I just pulled up uh, some stuff. So going back the last five years in the Constructors' Championship uh, for Williams, in 2019, they had one point. In 20, they had zero points. In 2021, they had 23 points in the Constructors' Championship. Last year, they had eight. This year, they have 21 points. So the comp I want to make is between this year and uh, 2021. So this year, we have Logan Sargent, rookie, Alex Albon, experienced Formula One driver. Alex has all the points. He's got 21 points. Last year, you had the uh, you had Alex Albon and uh, Nick Latifi, who's obviously no longer with the team. Go back uh, a year before that, you have uh, 23 points in the Constructors, which, you know, is is modest. It's, it's not a lot, but it's a lot for a team like Williams, especially where they've been in recent years. So in in 21, 16 of those points were scored by George Russell. So, you know, already, uh, if you look at where we are right now after 14 races in the 2023 World Championship, all the points, the 21 points that they have in the Constructors' Championship right now are all uh, thanks to to Alex Albon. And that's more than what uh, what George Russell delivered for them, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, obviously, 
there's two years difference uh, between then and now, so you got to take that into account. But I, I think that we should just uh, use that to underline the good job that Alex Albon is doing for this team. And I think, too, that we've seen just generally improvement from, from, from Williams. And I think in large part, that is due to the appointment of James Voles. I mean, you know, I mean, this is a guy that uh, that was on board at, uh, at, at, uh, at Mercedes during the dominant decade uh, starting back in 2014 so you, you take everything that a person like James Voles has in in their toolkit bring it over to a, a you know a smaller team like Williams I mean the, the only way to go is up so I mean he's a, a proven quantity and the, as we were talking about I think even as recently as the other night that you know Voles uh, you know disclosed that statement was like well you know we need to do this we need to get this developed and on the car in three months and the the, the response from that uh, that he got from within the team as well that usually takes us about three years to develop that so that's just uh you know like an interesting that was one of those sobering omg moments for for james Wolves coming from a you know team like mercedes going to to williams but you know we, we obviously know the difference between those two teams but i mean there has been marked uh, improvement uh, between where williams were even just uh, last year i mean last year what, uh, what what did i say i just put my sheet away yeah, so eight points in the constructors last year between uh, Nick Latifi and Alex Albon. So this year, I think that's uh, you know quite uh, quite something. Hey, by the way, just on the topic of Williams, and, and I'll save this for for the Thursday. Actually, what I'm not saving it for Thursday if I'm sharing it now. But um, <laughs> the Daily the Daily Mirror in the UK um, on their Sunday edition had the the following exclusive Williams to make quote unquote big name signings as James Voles raids top F one teams. Exclusive Williams have already announced that Pat Fry will join as chief technical officer wow. after leaving Alpine. Um, and James Voles told Mirror Sport, there are many, many more additions to come from top Formula One teams. Well, that's the thing. If you you get like a, somebody that has the track record like James Voles running a racing program, running a racing team like Williams... And I, I think that uh, both you and I are, are somewhat surprised the way that uh, Derilton has run this team. Like we, we kind of thought, like there, there was going to be sort of a placeholder thing, and you know, sell totally. the team on. But uh, but but they haven't. They seem to be willing to invest in the team and do something with it. And and we're seeing that improvement because. As much as I have respect for you know the Williams family and everything that they did in four decades running that team, they'd kind of you know gotten to the point that they weren't going to go any further, which which was a shame because they, I mean they did some amazing things and 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 both you and I have a huge a soft spot. I mean you know we we grew up uh, in the Nigel Mansell era, the Damon Hill, the Jacques Villeneuve era, and uh, they were they they were great cars and great teams. So. You know, I, I sometimes hope that uh, they'll get back there. Who knows whether they will or not, but uh, certainly uh, kudos to them. Anyways, Mark, I don't know if you have anything more to add. What I'd just like to do, we'll just wrap it up here. We went down the Constructors' Championship. We went down the the classification. So I think what we'll do is we'll just uh, close and just go down the, 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 the uh, driver's standings of the 2023 Formula One World Championship. After round 14 of uh, the year at uh, Monza, we have Max Verstappen, Red Bull leading the way with 364 points. His uh, teammate at uh, Red Bull, Sergio Perez, second with 219. Fernando Alonso is still third with 170. Lewis Hamilton is fourth, only six points behind Fernando with 164. Then in fifth, you have Carlos Sainz with 117. And then just running down the next uh, five uh, spots in the World Championship, we have Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris, Lance Stroll, and then rounding out the top 10, you have uh, Pierre Gasly, the first of the uh, Alpine drivers, although his teammate Esteban Ocon is only uh, one point uh, behind. They have 37 and 36 points, respectively. Anything you want to add, Hammy, before we sign off? No, we've got a couple of weeks off now before we go to Singapore, which is a very, obviously very different type of track. It's very technical. Um, it, I don't think the cars really even generated enough speed to create downforce, but uh, it's going to be very different, very technical track. And maybe we could see something chaotic. Uh, it's funny, like three months ago, you and I were sitting here talking about the fact that, hey, could Red Bull achieve the perfect season, meaning that one of their two drivers has won every Grand Prix. If I look down the list, Mr. Daly, we've only got eight Grand Prix left. This season's going to come 
come to a close very, very quickly. And I don't see any reason why that might not be a possibility. We, We already spoke off the top about the fact that they've won 15 Grand Prix in a row. The one thing that I would add is we saw Yuki today have an engine failure right before the Grand Prix. That was a Honda power unit. And that Honda power unit could have just as easily have been assigned to Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez. They come out of the exact same factory as far as we know that Red Bull doesn't have a choice of power units. It's not like they're being teed up on crates in a warehouse and Red Bull's going in and choosing this one and this one and this one versus Alpha Tauri, which is getting this one and this one and this one. All that to say this this perfect season um, seems to be not a lock, but a distinct possibility. But ultimately, Max has also had um, some tremendous good luck this season from a mechanical reliability perspective. And maybe we do see something like that, because like I said, it could just as easily have been Max's power unit that let go prior to the start of the Grand Prix. Um, so we'll see. And I think the takeaway there is, hey, this this Honda power unit has absolutely been... <laughs> I start laughing because I noticed my five-year-old son has snuck, snuck into the recording room here at the end of this podcast. <laughs> but uh, but I think the takeaway there is that this power unit has been an absolute rock solid um, piece of piece of hardware for both of those teams. Um, but maybe uh, maybe there's an opportunity for something untoward to happen, and maybe somebody else sneaks a Grand Prix victory at, towards the end of the season. But I think that's the big one. And obviously, you and I will be back later this week. We got a ton of stuff to talk about um, on the Thursday show. But Mr. Daly, uh, I appreciate you and thank you for sitting down and doing this a little earlier than we would normally do it on a Sunday. Yeah, it was fun. Like it actually like worked out where you texted me a little earlier. It's, hey, dude, what time you want to do the show? I was like, I'm ready to go like right now. So let's do this. So it was music to, to my ears. Yeah, music exactly. to my ears when you said that. Yeah, well, it, it, we're nice and fresh and we're full of energy. So this is a, a good time of day to, to do it. <clears throat> Anyways, time to park it there. Thank you one and all for joining us uh, this afternoon for our wrap-up of the uh, 2023 Italian Grand Prix. If you want to get in touch, send us a, a, a tweet or an X or whatever it is. I still haven't gotten my mind around that. At ScooterF1Pod. Send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. Got some emails we should go over. Maybe we'll throw those into the, the show this Thursday. Also, if you enjoy the show, head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you enjoy your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating review. That would uh, certainly mean a lot to us anyways that is a wrap uh, for now thank you one and all for for listening have a great week i guess uh here in north america we get one more day off it's labor day so starting tuesday no more white pants but even better football season is here nfl kicks off and uh college football already going so certainly i'm a happy camper because there's plenty of cool things to watch right now and enjoy anyways have a great week everyone talk to you again soon bye for now